stick that in your pocket. It's, it's running. Alright, so. We're saying no skin on skin, no How could you forget that? Today we're going to close with God's glorious design of marriage, uh, what you know sexuality was designed for. So, without further ado, once again, let's give it up for Papa Bill. All right, thank you, Chris. So he's already introduced me with all those wonderful accolades. I also taught uh, this youth group from about 2002 till when Luke graduated high school, whenever that was. 2012 or 13, 14, something like that. I don't know. So, but I think all of you guys, I think all those kids have uh, moved on to the to the next life. So you guys are all new. It's good to see your faces. And... Um, the next life being after high school, not <laughs> not heaven, I don't think. Not many of them. So, um, I've also been married for 30-some years, so I have a little experience in this topic today. It's a very important topic, and it must be started with the following statement. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. That blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. All right, you can't, you can't start a talk on marriage without doing that, right? Same man, that's right. Same man and wife. Great movie. If you haven't seen that movie, ask you if the person next to you what that was. Great movie. All right, so, all right, now I remember about getting you riled up and then trying to dial you back in. All right, focus back, and, okay. So, it is a, you know, the great thing about being a believer and being in God is that you can talk about very serious subjects, but if uh, through His righteousness, the righteousness He gives us through Christ, we can have joy in them, we can have fun, we can laugh, we don't just allow them. This is a super important topic. Um, I meant to look up Google how many people actually get married versus stay single for their life, but I think it's most people, at least three quarters of the people. So if you look around here, most of you at some point in your life are going to be married. And I can tell you and I hope actually I I'll say to you and I hope that you guys blow the statistics But in this church right now, if there are 300, a good 10% are in trouble. And they're being killed in some way. And uh, there's some, and not just like little arguments, like little disagreements, like serious, serious stuff that um, if the marriages survive, it'll be a miracle. So that's we want to talk about how to avoid that today and hopefully you guys are going to uh, defeat the statistics and not uh, 10% of you in here will not encounter that in your life but um it is a reality so you got to take this very seriously and it's serious cuz God wants to be serious. and it, I will explain that in a second now I did paper I hope all of you ask you to read so if you got figured out already that's uh, find that passage in the bible scripture you You'll read. I'm going to read you. I and Mary, Christina and Matt are getting married. As they near the end of the service. Their minister turns to Matt. Will you, Matt, have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live with her after God's commandments in the holy state of marriage, and will you love her, honor and cherish her, so long as you both shall live? Matt responds, "I do." And then repeats after the minister, I take you, Christina, to be my wedded wife, and I do promise and covenant before you that these witnesses, before God and these witnesses, to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. How many of you have ever been to a marriage ceremony? 
So that's like almost everybody's been to a marriage. Okay. How many of you have been to not Christians, maybe a family So these these vows were Christian based. What was different about these or what was different about the weddings you've seen that were were Christian weddings versus non Christian weddings? Can you anything that I read there jump out or anything about those weddings that you've been to that jumped out as the difference? Sharon. Yes, good point. God is not a part of, uh, God was a part of what I read there and He's not a part of some ceremonies. Yes, very good. Izzy. So that was a Christian wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? No, yeah, Nate. Yeah. What is a covenant that this guy in here said covenant? What a, he said I promise and I covenant. What's what is a covenant? Do you have you guys has Chris taught you about covenant? Have you talked about that at any point or at some point? Anyone what's it's kinda like a promise, but it's um it's more binding. It's almost like a like a legal thing. When in the old testament I don't know if you guys have learned about this yet, but when God made the covenant with Abraham that his descendants were going to be like the like the stars of the sky and going to uh, redeem the earth, he uh, they had a ceremony back then where um, you had to kill an animal and cut it in half and then walk between it. And it was like a legal, that's how they did legal things back then. They didn't have all the lawyers and the documents we have now, so they would do these ceremonies. And it was a, a blood, they did a blood covenant. An animal had to die in order to make that covenant happen. So it was very serious and it was a commitment. So covenant, a marriage is a covenant. It's not just a promise. You're not just saying to someone, I promise to do my best to love you. No. Or to stay with you the rest of my life. You're saying, I make a covenant with you. A binding, legal arrangement before God and these witnesses to be to be bound to you forever. And that's uh, that That was different in, in that uh in that little statement I said there. Talked about it being a holy state. We're going to talk about that in a second. It is a holy state. It's not just the two people. It's a holy state of marriage between the two people and God. And then, um, love as long as you shall live. I can tell you the, these marriages in the church that I know about that are struggling, the people didn't start out to not love each other as long as they live, but things... Things happen in, in life. Sometimes uh, a per- people change over time. Depression can set in for some people, or injuries can happen to people. Physical things can happen to people. All kinds of things can happen to make your spouse not the person you dreamed about on that, that special day when you had a big party with your family and wore a big, big beautiful dress or a nice tuxedo. Or A lot of things can change, but you're saying no matter what those changes are, I'm going to stay with you. I'm making a covenant before God. And that's different than a non-Christian, and that's something keeping our keeping our minds. So let's let's start digging into God's word. The way I think teaching should be done is that God's word is really what is being talked about, not not the words from the guy standing up here, but I'll try to put some of God's stuff together and explain it in in some Based on some knowledge and experiences I have, but who's got Genesis two twenty four through twenty five? What's your name, sir? I don't have Matthew. Matthew. Would you please read that nice and loud and clear for us? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, you've heard that before, right? It's from Genesis uh, two, very uh, common, commonly read thing. And um, so the man and the woman become one flesh. That was the first marriage. Adam and Eve were the first marriage in uh, the history of history. So, and the one flesh is talking about, I can say the word sex in here, right? Because you guys had chapter 5 on masturbation, which I we never said that in the church back in the old day, by the way. So Chris, hey, it's a thing. It's got to be talked about. So good job. But uh, okay, so 
one flesh, it, it's a picture of the physical union of two people having sex, but it's also a spiritual thing that's happening. When two people have sexual intercourse, they're not just, um, they're not just having good feelings. Something is happening in the spiritual realm at that point. Now, who's got um, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20? What's your name? Debbie. Debbie, would you read that nice and clear and loud, please? Thank you. So this is telling us that as believers, if you've believed in Jesus Christ and you've had that wonderful um, freedom from sin and the salvation and the hope of eternal life that Jesus gives, and I hope you all have, or I hope you're being drawn really quick to that and that you're going to do that soon. But if you have that, a union has occurred between you and Christ on the spiritual realm. Part of His Spirit is in you. And your body is His temple. And those verses, I, I don't know if you've heard those before, but it says when you join your body with a prostitute, it's not just a physical thing that it's occurring. It's a spiritual union that's occurring there. And you're taking Christ in your body, if you're a believer, and you're joining with a prostitute. They use the word prostitute here, but that, that can stand for any man or woman who is not your your spouse, not the spouse that you have joined with and covenanted with before God and witnesses. So that's it's an important thing to understand when we're talking about marriage that the um, the marriage is becoming one flesh is not just uh, it's not just something that's happening on uh, the dimensional the flesh dimension. It's happening between you and God and the person you're marrying and and the spirit is involved, and your spirit as a saved person is involved. So, um, Proverbs 4.23, who's got that one? Please read that one. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows Okay, so guarding your heart. The heart in uh, in the Bible is not uh, the thing that pumps blood through your body, right? When we talk about the heart, we're meaning a person, their life. It incorporates their spirit and their body and their thoughts and their will and their emotions and everything. That's your heart. And that Proverbs 4.23 ties into the one flesh and the spirit because you're, you're to guard your heart and the spirit of Christ that is in you. It's a very precious thing. The end of the last one we read, the last verse we read, 1 Corinthians says, you were bought with a price. What was the price that we were all bought with if we're in Christ? His blood. The blood of the glorious Savior of God was shed for you. I mean, what you can't even put a value on that. You could pile up diamonds and gold for eternity and it wouldn't be equal to the value of His blood. That's what you were bought with. You were bought at that expensive price and then you unite yourself with, uh, with a prostitute or uh, someone who's not your spouse. And you are just saying to Jesus, yeah, you bought me with that. You, you spent that money to save me, but I'm going to take... I'm going to take part of you and we're going to, we're going to do this other thing here that makes you sad. So that's, um, marriage is, that's involved in marriage. The one flesh and the, the body is the temple. Now we're going to go to the, um, the verse on marriage. It's when, uh, whenever I, thank you. So, we're not going to have time to talk about that. You could talk for weeks and weeks on that and unpack it. I'm just going to tell you a couple key things about it. But how many of you have heard that, that those verses read before? This kind of rings a bell. Yeah. Mark it in your brain when you're thinking about marriage. Ephesians 5 is your go-to, your go-to part of the Bible and those verses in particular. So, You've got the great stuff in there about the role of the, the husband and the wife, the complementary role of the husband and wife, where 
husband is leading in a sacrificial way as Christ died for the church. So, yeah, he's the leader. And that, you probably, if you've been to a Christian wedding and a non-Christian wedding, you may have heard the wife say to love and obey the husband, but I'd uh, be willing to bet at the non-Christian wedding and in this decade you have not heard the woman say that. Because that's not a very, uh, that's not a very popular idea, is that the woman has to obey the man. And, but that's a Christian. That's the Christian setup for marriage. That the man is the head of the household. He's the leader, the spiritual leader. But he's doing it in the way Christ did for the church. Which is sacrificing the way Christ did for the church. So it's a sacrificial leadership. It's, he's a, he's not like, I'm gonna lead so I get to make 51% of the decisions. No. 100% of the decisions are for the best, uh, the best for the wife and for the rest of the family. He, um, his selfish interests have zero percent role in his decision making. And then the same thing for the wife. The wife submits. So in the marriage, um, this is not easy, ladies. You have the same brains. You're just as skilled in things. You can probably do things a lot better than whatever man you're going to someday fall in love with and, and marry. Um, but God asks you to submit to His leadership as He follows as He follows God's leadership, and that's not easy. He's got to die to you. He's got to die to His interest to take care of you. But you have to die to your desire to run the to be the spiritual leader, to be the leader, so that you can submit to Him and honor God in that way. So those verses talk about that. You can dig, really dig into it. But the part I really want to point out to you is that that next part that talks about how this is a profound mystery and it's a picture of Christ and the church. So the church is the bride of Christ. And Revelations 19, 6-9, whoever has that, we're not going to read that one. But you guys, have you heard of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Revelations, those those verses right there, 19, 6-9, talk... Actually, let's read them. God's Word is great. We'll, we'll make time for it. Who's got Revelation... Nine, nineteen, six through nine. What's your name? Christelle. Nice and loud, please, Christelle. Thank you, Christelle. So when we reach our ultimate goal of being with Christ in heaven, and then He returns and redeems the earth, there is going to be a huge party. It's going to be a wedding party like you have never seen. It's going to be up in heaven. There's going to be people praising. There's going to be... Is there going to be dancing? I don't know. Let's let's leave that for another time. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And... uh that's a wedding. It's Christ, the wedding marriage of the Lamb Christ to the church. So the church throughout all these hundreds and thousands of years and however long it takes for Jesus to return again is being prepared as the bride. Right now as the church, we are, we are getting on our, we're getting our dress ready and we're doing our makeup and we're getting our hair real nice and everything. And we are just getting ready as a church. I'm, I'm kind of saying silly stuff because it might be funny to picture me getting my hair all done and putting my wedding veil on. But I'm part of the church and we're, we're getting cleaned up and we are getting, we are following Christ and we are walking with Him and we are keeping this church healthy and alive and preaching the gospel so that when He comes back, He's like, yeah, I want to marry you. Will you marry? Yeah, let's get married. So, and then there's a huge party. So, that's what God is doing. The whole part of the plan of redemption from Genesis when He created people and the fall and everything is all leading up to this wedding where Christ marries the church. It's the ultimate goal of God's redemption plan. And marriage, the marriage that many of you are going to partake of someday, is a picture of that great event that is so precious to God. So when we 
look at marriage as just um, let's see if let's, let's do this let's do this thing for a while and see if it's going to be fun, or we go into it without really thinking clearly, and we make a poor decision without. And even though we kind of knew it was a bad decision, but it it seemed like it was going to be good. It was all tingly and everything, and everything felt great that way. So when you take it lightly like that, you're basically saying you're 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 saying to God, I'm not. I'm not taking very serious this picture that marriage is of your great wedding of the Lamb to the church. And you're also not taking in, into account that He thinks very seriously about marriage because He's ordained it as that picture. So whether you take it serious or not, He looks at it serious. So if you're a believer and you're in your church and your husband or your wife becomes a real bear to live with and you don't want it anymore... You can't just stop because it's a this tremendous holy picture of Christ and the church. You don't not only have you covenanted, but God takes it very seriously and he says you promised before me to live out this picture of the marriage of the lamb and the church and you promised me you were going to do that whether as long as you live in sickness and in health. You didn't say in health and a little sickness, but not too much sickness. Or for richer and not real, real poor, but you know, just a little poor I'm okay with, but not real poor. Or kooky or healthy minded. You didn't, you, that's not in the most vows, but that happens to some people. Some people get a little kooky as they get older. And you still gotta live with them. Let's figure out how to make that work. Right, Sam? I'm not kooky. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, some people stay stable like Mr. But um, not everyone does. So that's that great picture that we have of Christ in the church. Now let's look at who's got Malachi 2, 14 through 16. Malachi 2. Sharon, would you read that nice and loud for us? Thank you. So Sharon is reading uh, from the ESV probably. NIV, okay. More literal translation somewhere in the, and that's, I have the ESV, it says the same thing. It says, God, um, if you divorce your wife, you do violence to the one you should protect. But there's, um, there's something about the Hebrew language in there that some versions, the more literal ones say, God hates divorce. So he actually hates, there's not many things there are some things in the Bible, but it's a short list of things he hates. Divorce is one of them that he hates. Uh, what does Matthew nineteen three through nine say? Who's got that? Nice and loud, sir. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" He answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother." And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce, and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marriage, and marries another, commits adultery. Whoever divorces his wife, or whoever divorces her husband, except for unfaithfulness, commits adultery. You're committing a sin by divorcing. So we talked about how the picture is bigger than you and, and your spouse when you get married. It's about God and the church. And now he's saying, if in case that wasn't clear enough, I hate divorce. And if you get divorced for any other reason than your spouse was unfaithful, you are called, you are committing a sin, adultery. Now there is forgiveness in God, and His forgiveness is sometimes mysterious. Because if you are divorced and you stay divorced, are you in? You, 
it, you can't be in this constant state of adultery. It's just that God's forgiveness wouldn't allow that because it's not the unpardonable sin. It's a pardonable sin. But it's still so serious that he says, you are committing adultery when you get divorced and marry someone else. So it's very serious. It's just a very weighty topic. One last verse. Philippians 2, 1 through 13. Who's got that? Great. Oh, I'm glad you got it, Zeke. Because this is great stuff. And you're a great man. Thank you. Awesome verses. I know it was long there and it's getting late and you probably lost track of it a little bit. But tremendous exalting verses about Jesus Christ. How every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. Which that actually comes from Isaiah. So this picture in Philippians here being written in the New Testament is all part of God's plan. And Isaiah, when he was telling the uh, the Israelites that he was going to redeem them from Babylon and that someday a Messiah was going to come and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that that Messiah was was Lord. Now he's pointing that to Jesus Christ. He's saying, here he is, he's Lord, this is great. But before that he says, what did Jesus do? And he he humbled himself and emptied himself and he counted others as more significant than himself. That's the mind we're to have in our marriages. It's in every part of Christian life, but specifically since we're talking about marriage tonight. So when you're married to your spouse someday, consider your spouse's needs more important than yours. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count your spouse more significant than yourself. That is the secret to a good marriage, and that's what God wants you to do in your marriage. And then why do we do it? We do it because Jesus did it, and He's our Savior and our God, and our Lord and our friend, so we we want to show Him how much we love Him by being just like Him. And then, but that's hard, right? So how do we do it? He helps us. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. God, as you're working out your salvation and trying really hard to walk with Him and making the right decisions, it's actually this fantastic combination of your will and His will that are all wrapped together and He's empowering you to do it. You're depending on Him and you're listening to Him and you're doing the right thing and you're just walking with Him and your marriage is great and perfect and nothing ever goes wrong. Right? No. You'll have lots of arguments, silly stuff, you're going to get mad at each other, but it's still going to be a glorious thing for God because marriage is one of the great gifts that He have given us. There's the romantic part, which I think at your age with all the hormones surging is probably the part that's like in the forefront of your mind. And that part's good. It does feel really good and there's this great both physical and emotional union with your spouse and it's wonderful. But there's also the companionship part. Um, you know, as life goes on, maybe you guys have tons of friends now and you're never lonely. Maybe sometimes you are lonely. To have someone who says, I'm going to walk with you the rest of your life no matter what, that is companionship. It's so important in life to have someone that's going to be there by your side all the time. You get their friendship. You share a life together. It's nice to have somebody to 
to say, hey, how about that cool thing that happened today? And you come home from work at night and you talk about all the cool stuff that happened at work or maybe all the boring stuff that happened at work, but they look at you like it's really interesting because they love just hearing you talk. They love your voice. It's just wonderful. And then maybe you'll have children. Maybe you'll have a little Illy Jam someday or a little <laughs> Hipster Lukey. I didn't know Hipster Lukey was a hipster. I thought he was just a uh, little Lukey, but okay, maybe... <laughs> And maybe you'll have, then you'll have a grandchild, maybe, and a little cuteness will come into your life. Oh, it's wonderful. And um, marriage is a great gift, and it pours out all those blessings on you, but it is a lot of work. And you need to walk with the Lord and do nothing out of selfish ambition, but count your wife or your husband as uh, as more important than you. Or it... I'll tell you what, your spouse... If things go sour, I don't mean to be all gloomy, because I just said a lot of good stuff, right? So you remember all the great stuff in your mind? It's great! Marriage is great! But if things go bad, your spouse has legal and emotional levers on you that they can pull that will make your life so miserable you won't want to go on. So I don't mean that to sound scary, but that's what they have. So you got to do it right. Don't do it. Don't do it um, without seeking counsel from God and from others and from walking with the Lord. And remember what Cliff said, besides no skinny skin, licky face, or whatever that thing that he said was? What was his thing? Okay, besides that, what did he say? He said the thing about running, you're just running for the Lord, right? You're running towards the Lord and you're you're going towards Him. And you you just and you look left, you look right. Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, let's run together over here. Yeah. And then she's on the same page with you, or he's on the same page with you. You're both seeking after the Lord. And then you consider all these verses, and you get counsel to make sure that everyone agrees that that's the person for you. And then you get married, and the Lord, you depend on the Lord to work it out, and it's. It's good if you do it the right way. It's the one of the greatest gifts God has given us if you do it the right way. But I pray, I'm going to pray, we're going to pray now that all of us, uh, that all of you are blessed with a good marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you for saving us. We love you for loving us so much that you would send Jesus to the cross to die so that we could be with you, even though we pushed you away and we uh, we spit in your face and we said, we don't want you, we don't need you. You died for us anyway and then you drew us to you and you saved us and we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that you give us good gifts and one of those is marriage for all the good reasons that I spoke about just a few minutes ago. We thank you for that good gift. But we also ask for your grace and your guidance and your protection in our lives. I ask it for each one of the young people here, most of whom will be married someday, many of whom will have good marriages, some will have great marriages. I pray none will have those terrible kinds of marriages that I talk about. Lord, help them, guide them, give them the strength to make any marriage one that honors you. Help them to see that it is not about just about them, but it is about Christ and the church, that great mystery. And it's part, it's the picture that you want them to show the world as they walk together in married life as a testimony to the great thing that you're doing in this world by redeeming us through Jesus. So Lord, I do ask for your special blessing on all of these for this whole book that they studied, all these very crucial and sensitive topics that aren't talked about a lot in church, but are very important parts of who we are, especially as young people. So, Lord, I ask that uh, you would take your word, put, drill it deep into their hearts, and just make it work there, make it alive, make it help them to make good decisions. And um, for any who have made poor decisions already at this point, show them your forgiveness, Lord. Let them know if they repent and ask for forgiveness that they can be Start afresh. They can be, they can be a virgin today if they, if they ask for your repentance and they can start afresh walking with you and honoring you in the marriage that uh, you want them to have. So Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
and you've been hitched, can you bring a chair up here? I would say students with two, but I'm fairly confident none of these students are married. I was kidding scared me. <laughs> scared me tremendously. Try to come this direction if you can. You, you, can, you can sit on the couch, but I'm just saying if you have folding chairs. Yeah, Steph, you don't have to stay. You can stay all day. Walmart, oh, so. can I have that water? That's my water. Thank you. Hi. Alright, let's start. Um, you know what? Josh, come up here too. Angelina. Wow, he's getting married, right? Go, go sit over there next to Angelina. I just feel bad he's over there. <laughs> Alright, let's start with Alex Moyer and just say uh, how many years you've been married. Fifteen. Twenty. Thirty-one. Two. Years, five months. There's math. There's a lot of math in this. Hers are mine. Um, how many of you uh, have a desire to get married? Have a desire to get married. Nice and high. Nice and high. Anyone not want to get married? Anyone like, nah, I'm good. Alright. Alright. So, this is a time where you can ask anything about marriage uh, for the purpose of understanding, not for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself um, or making a mockery of marriage, but you may certainly ask anything that you'd like to know. Uh, answers may or may not dwell within the wisdom of this group, but it does dwell within the principles of God's Word. So, go ahead if you have any questions at this point covenant of marriage. Or anything practical. Yo, Didi, yo. I have a question for uh, um, women. How, how, like, like, when you first got married and And I know that 
submitting to him, I, I, yes, there's, you should find somebody that's worth submitting to, but I think the first thing you have to submit is to God. And submitting to his will and his purpose for your life is the most important thing. And then finding that person that um, that's worth submitting to. And, and it is difficult. When I first got married and I had kids and we had to make the decision for our family, for me to stay home, that was tough. It was very difficult. But we prayerfully went through that process and that was a very difficult step for me because I had to step back and say, this is what's important now. And But I think if anything, God, whether you're married or not, God, wants us to die to ourselves so that he can reign in our lives. And I think that's the most important thing, whether you're married or whether you're not. You know, God should be the one leading your path and you should be dying every day. So it shouldn't be, oh, I'm submitting myself to this person. I'm submitting myself first of all to God and then to this person. Because that's what God has instituted. And if you look at it like that, it's a lot easier to submit to the person. Great question. Very good question. Yeah, sorry. Okay, um, so, I'm going to ask you guys a question. How did you guys like, put God in the center of your relationships like, while you were dating to you, but then also like, in your marriage? And then, like, do you think it was difficult like, to do that and to not like, Everyone hear the that question? <laughs> let's start systematic or not. Let's start chronologically. So start with the dating. Dating your specific spouse. Yeah. Let me, everyone here when you got married was a Christian? Anyone not a believer when they got married? Okay. That <laughs> happens. I was, however, saved about a month before I met my wife. So I was a very immature Christian. So it's always a little, I, I speak with a little trepidation here because we didn't do it the way I would want you to do it or the way I see my kids doing it, which I'm, it's a super blessing to watch them do it. But she grew, she grew up as a Christian, but not in a church that taught real Christian living. So we, neither of us knew how to have a, how to be Christians together. <laughs> so we we figured it out, and God was gracious to us, and um, got involved in, in church, in church, and uh, and God helped us grow together. So not the ideal way. If you're you guys are all smarter than I was back then, so don't do it my way. For Courtney and I, I would say two institutions that God has given you. Number one. Your family, number two, the church. Um, if your parents are not involved in your dating relationship, and if the church is not involved in your dating relationship, it's going to be nigh impossible to honor God. Um, so I know that, um, like, it might seem, seem old fashioned, but gentlemen, you have no business asking her to date you if you've not talked to her father. Now, her father is, like, non existent, he's alive, but he's non existent. There are circumstances where that's, you know, I, I get that. Then you, then, then you talk to her mother um, or whoever is kind of her overseer in the home. Um, and then you talk to your church. Um, now, Courtney and I have dated in a Bible college setting. So um, kind of we talked to professors that knew both of us. And, um, so we had other spiritual mentors involved. And I would say that's, that's how the two of us did it. That, that's a big thing I could say. There's a lot of ins and outs of dating that's different for different people but um, I would say so I won't take up the whole time but those are my two your parents and the church Izzy you touched on a good point you want God to be the sun S-U-N of your solar system because then everything in your life and relationship will fall into its proper orbit um, if you are conscious of the fact that God needs to be that you can daily beg him like, Lord, I want you to be my treasure, but I feel my heart infatuated with my significant other. Like, you can just be real with him about that, and he will help you in it. Um, it's not about being sinless, but sincere. And if you can say you're sincere, then stay there. And God is gracious with you. 
that's that's yeah. Won't even say another word about it. Ben just hit it. Good question. Though. Great, great question. Good question. I think you can make an idol out of your significant other. As a matter of fact, if you didn't know, Courtney and I dated a year and a half. And believe it or not, I was overbearing. I know that's so hard <laughs> to believe. But, uh, um, so hard to believe in, in, in as a high schooler and a freshman in college that she dumped me. Straight up. Good for her. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and it's because I, I was obsessed with her. Like, obsessed. And then when we reconnected four months later, it took like, it took like six, seven months, eight months until we actually started dating again. We went really slow and we did it right the, the second time around. Um, much, much better. Um, so, yeah, it de- it de- your significant other can definitely become an idol. Other questions? Audrey. Um, the, like, we read the verse where it said that the husband um, should love the wife as Christ loved the church. Isn't the wife also called to love the husband as, like, Christ loved the church? Like, when, I didn't know, like, if that was just, like, you're saying that it applies to both, because when Um, I think for obviously that that's that that applies to both I believe it does um, but it's it's harder for men to show emotions than it is for women to show emotions um, or to show that they do love them and it's harder for women to respect their husbands so I think God already knew that um, that it was going to be a difficult thing for women to respect their husband just as much as it's going to be difficult for men to show affection or love for their wife. It's not that they're not supposed to do the same for each other. Like Men should respect their wives as well. Just because it doesn't say that doesn't mean that they're not supposed to respect them. It should go in both ways, but I think God already knowing the design of men and the design of a woman and how it's easier for a woman to show love and affection than it is for men and how it's not as easy to respect and so that's pretty much the reason why I think in my opinion that that was written in that manner not because they're not supposed to love each other the way Christ loved the church but because of that the way the design of men and women are in my opinion but it is it, it is different though. Because Paul does sense and go out first wives and then husbands. So if you think about it this way, is as if you're you're a member of the church, right? We're all members of the church. Are we supposed to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yes. Does yes. He love us eternally? Yet, is Jesus' love for us the same as our love for Him? No. There's differences to it. Um, he's the leader loving us, and we're the submitting party loving him. I, I think the husband's love for his wife is different in the sense that if it comes down to it, he's going to sacrifice for the family. He He's going to take the extra job. He's going to do those things. He's going to do whatever it takes to provide for his bride. Um, and she's going to love him for that and submit to him and support him. So I, I do see it as a little... Not that... I don't see him as loving her more than the wife loves him, but loving her differently. Um, that's why I would suggest that. Because when it comes down to like jumping in front of a bullet, someone's got to do it. I think it's the man. I'll do it. <laughs> Good husband. There is, if you notice in that verse, it's that the wives are to love, the, the husband's to love the wife, the wife's to respect the husband. I mean, there are passages like First Peter, which talks about be tender with your wife as the weaker vessel, not meaning the wimpier vessel, but the more the one that needs the more tender care. So, wives, husbands are to be tender and loving, but in this particular verse, God's touching on the two things husbands and, husbands and wives need the most. Wives need their husband to love them and be affectionate and to take care of them, provide for them. Women can do that reciprocally and men enjoy it, but really they need to respect them the most. They, if they love them but don't respect them, it doesn't fulfill the man. 
they have to actually respect their man and think that he's a respect worthy guy and that's that's how men are built and respect and submit are different you know if, if you don't respect somebody you're not going to submit to them but you can respect somebody and not submit to them it's kind of like you're you're, you're you're a boss, right? You're a VP. You respect your employees, I hope, but you don't necessarily submit to them. Right. So, and again, I'm not saying the wife is an employee. It's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in Titus 2, it actually tells the, the older women, teach the younger women to love their husbands. So, again, women aren't off the hook in the area of love either. So, yeah, it is both. You should write a book, Love and Respect. That'd be a great title. We should do like a video series on it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real book. Yes. Good question. I saw another hand over there. Sharon. So, like, so women are supposed to submit to their wives. What if it comes to the point where... Women are not supposed to submit to their wives. Sorry. Sorry. Women are supposed to submit to their husbands. Yes. So Ephesians 5 does tell a woman to submit to the to her husband in everything as to, as to the Lord. Um, so I think there is an emphasis for the man reading that. You're leading her in areas that pertain to the Lord. So if you're saying, sit here and watch this Cowboys game with me, and that's, that's rhetorical, right? So, that's, so the man, I think, should read that and, and take wisdom. I, I, you have no business telling your wife what to watch with you. So, but I, I also said, whenever you're the man says anything that would cause you to disobey God, um, you obviously obey God. But that to me goes even further. Like if he's commanding to do something that you think will be harmful to you, like um, like if you're going vegan and after a week you, your body just feels weak, like you can't handle it, you're supposed to take care of yourself. Like so, I think that those principles come into play. But if he's like, hey, our family's been sick for months, and it's this bad meat over here. I want us as a family to try to go vegan and be healthy. I, I think if that's the case, yeah, you submit to him in, in that. But obviously there's wisdom. There's, it isn't always so cut and dry. But that's my two cents. And the good husband is not dictating things like that. It's a conversation where Correct. if you say, hey, let's go vegan for a month, and your wife says, you're crazy. Yeah. They go, well, why do you think that? And then you talk it out and no, no God fearing husband would force his wife. It's a great, it's a good example. Eat the cucumber! It's a a great example. It's because that's the kind of thing that people do bicker about in their marriages. But if he's a, if he's sensitive to the Lord and wants to take care of you, he won't, he might try to convince you why it's good to be, do a certain thing, but he won't force you to do it. It's a good example. Another, any other questions? How about a guy? Guys have this figured out. I suppose the guys have it figured out. Nate! I have like a, it's a pretty simple question. Well, it's kind of a math question though. Like, how long were you dating and then engaged to your spouse? Uh-huh. All right, let's just have a question. And I dated for a year. As a long time ago. Here's the thing, like once once you're sure, hurry up and get married. Uh if you include the two different times we dated, I think about then we're engaged for a year. I don't recommend that we lived states away. If you're living in the same state or same town, I wouldn't recommend that long of engagement. That was 31 years ago. I got to think really hard. I think I met her. Yeah, no. It was December. I think I met her in December of '85, and we got married in September of '80. 
seven. So work the math out on that. I, less than two years. Yeah, from start to marriage. Yeah. That's pretty quick. Yeah. We dated a year and three months, got engaged, and then... How many days, Ben? I could tell you days. <laughs> um, but then got married six months later, and maybe as a practical point, we were able to do that because we were both graduated from college and had good jobs. So um, I think there's some wisdom in waiting until marriage is more practical, but not a cookie cutter thing because God has different wills for everybody. So take that for what's worth. We, um, Dan and I knew each other since we were, since I was 13. So we started dating when we had already built a relationship um, for a really long time. And so we dated nine months, and then we were married. With seven, we were engaged seven months. But because of the fact that we had known each other for 11 years before we decided to do that, um, take that step. And... Um, what Sam said, that's Dan's mentality. When you know, you know. Do it. And you don't have to prolong it. Just, if that's what you're doing, then just do it. And we were we were also already, I graduated, you know, we already had our careers and everything going. We were established, so it was okay for us to date the nine months and then do the engagement. But he, that was one of the things he told me. He's like, I'm not doing a long engagement. So we're doing this. This is a serious commitment. I'm doing it. Like I'm, my purpose here is not to date, to decide whether we want to. Know. We're going to do this is to date with the purpose of getting married, and and so forth. And that's how we we did it. Josh, what's your? How, how long have you dated? How long are you supposed to be engaged for? We uh, were dating for two or three years. It kind of gets fuzzy because like. We kind of spent a year together at, at, out in Jackson Hole Bible College, uh, getting to know each other. Um, yeah, so then, like, official dating, I think, was probably two years. Um, and then we got engaged, and it's going to be a little under a year engagement. When is your wedding day? May. May. Man, pretty soon it'll be the year of your marriage. May's a good month. May's a good month. Very good. Any other questions? No more guys have any. Yo, Ethan, way to step up. Love the hat. Are there like certain domestic duties that you Oh, good question. Are there certain domestic duties? Go ahead, Bill. Tell us. Uh, there's no domestic duty I do not do. Good answer. Right. Yes. So, guys, I didn't have this 100% right when I got married. Around the house, do not be afraid to help out. Do not assume your wife's going to do the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and clean the bathroom. If you have kids, change the diaper. I do lots of food, but... I try, I don't do it all, I don't do it all perfectly, oh, I still, and I still just disagree on the right way to do some things, but I've learned that for having a high marriage, this is sort of things that, like, laundry, like, I thought was the right way. So, 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 okay, so, she does her wash, and I do my wash, and this wash. They don't care if I screw it up, screw it up. But, anyways, so don't be afraid to help her out of the house, I mean, because trust me, if you think a Sunday afternoon watching football all day is great, you think your wife cooking and cleaning all day is fun for her, you're wrong. Like they might have downtime too. So make sure help out in every single way you can. There's no old school. Oh, well, it's the wife's duty to do cooking and cleaning, laundry, everything. No, help out as much as possible again. Plus, an unhappy wife will make for a happy life for no one. So <laughs> make your wife happy. <laughs> I would say serve your wife, man. Wash her feet. As a matter of fact, Courtney and I at our wedding actually wash each other's feet to symbolize that we had a posture of service towards each other because Jesus washed his disciples' feet and said, as I've done to you, do to each other. Hey, let me ask this question. 
If Jesus is asking you to wash the feet of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then how much more should you wash the feet of your spouse? Squeaky clean. Can I give you some advanced knowledge? Yeah. Sorry, I give you some advanced knowledge. When well, once you're married, this is advanced level marriage knowledge. Okay. Once you're married, the way to get uh, a man in a romantic mood for the wife is to exist. She just has to be there. <laughs> Women are not so easy, though. So men, the best way to romance your wife and get her in a romantic mood is to do some house cleaning, do a little vacuuming, wash some dishes. Am I right? Am I? does need to run itself. And and one of the qualifications of an elder is that he manages his household well. So the man, you need to take the lead in having conversations with your wife and say, all right, what are who who's going to do what as the norm? Um, so in my house, Courtney detests washing dishes. I am the human dishwasher. That is my job. That's what I do. Okay. So we have that already worked out. It's in, we've written it. No, I'm kidding. But that's the way it is. So um, I, I was watching uh, the MLB Network years ago, secular guy, but it was, it laughed. He says when he met his wife, he was like, they were, uh, you know, probably in their 30s or something. He was like, look, I like lines on my yard and lines on my carpet. I'll take the care of the ones outside if you take care of the carpet. And she said, agree. So like, if, if now she hates that, you don't force it. I'm saying, you kind of, I think it's a good idea to talk about it and work it out. A man can cook, a woman can build a shed. Like, she should. It's, she should, yeah. And I think the, one of the wise thing is for, as a team now, you should be helping around yes. the house. Yes, and And serving your parents. And that, so that when that time comes, and you have to be a human dishwasher, you're, you're experienced, and you can do it to the best of your ability. Um, one of the, the greatest things I can say for my husband and for our marriage, and he's done great things, but one of the biggest things earlier on in our marriage um, was I remember bringing home Genesis, who was a big crybaby, but <laughs> she was tiny, and um, and I just remember like just sitting there, like what am I gonna do with her? All she does is cry. And she had a lot of food allergies, so that's the reason why she cried a lot. But anyway, but um, I remember Dan just staying up with me and um, was like, "How can I help?" And I mm. said, "Well, you really can't because I was nursing her," and and he was like, "Yeah, but let me at least change her diaper." And that to me was so touching because it meant that he truly did care. So it wasn't just, yeah, he couldn't pretty much do much. You know, she cried. Neither one of us can do much, but he tried to be present. So I think, you know, look, even if you have something established, don't just say, well, I don't do that because that's your job. They right. like look for ways that you can help, even if you have something established and you wrote something down and you're doing the dishes, you're doing the laundry, you're doing this. That doesn't, that's not etched in stone. Things change and your lifestyles change. There's different phases in your life. Um, but what I would say is look for specific things that you can serve your spouse. Um, not because you have decided upon it, but because you want to serve them in that specific moment. And if you see it, do it. Like, gentlemen, you're about to go downstairs to play video games, and you see the pile of dishes. Take care of it, okay? Do it for them. And um, also, ask your spouse, and don't just take the first no for an answer. I know with Courtney, I'm like, okay, the kids are crying. Hey, what can I do to help? Like Dan asked Myra, nothing I got. It. Like, strong, independent woman don't need no man, right? Like, that's kind of that kind of... <laughs> Attitude. And then sometimes I'm like, all right, well, can I do this? Or can I like, make suggestions, okay? And and don't don't just say, okay, cool, you got it, thanks, and then leave. That's because really inside she's like, you idiot. Okay. Don't, don't don't do that. Except during football season. No, no, no. Especially during football season. All right. 
Good questions. We'll, we're going to split up for our small groups. Uh, before we do that, shh, um, well done. We've completed gospel sexuality. Um, youth group is suspended for the holidays, so enjoy Christmas, enjoy the new year. Okay? It, that means it's paused. Um, we'll, youth group starts back up on January 6th, okay? Um, I encourage you over this Christmas break, don't waste it on uh, ne- binge-watching Netflix and uh, spending hours on Instagram. Get together with each other, okay? Get together to get together to together. Get together with kids you don't know. Use it as an opportunity to have that kid over from school who you've been sharing the gospel with to be a, a light to, okay? Be, be, uh, be wise with it, all right? Um, we're starting Daniel, uh, January 13th, so if you want to be reading through that uh, here and there to prepare yourself, I'm really excited for it. It's going to be awesome, all right? All right, uh, we'll pray, and then we'll go to our small groups uh, before our youth group ends. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, uh, who is the author and the authority in sexuality. Lord, you designed it. And you have the right as our God to tell us what is and what is not. And it's not just arbitrary commands uh, as a dictator, but you've designed everything for our good, uh, for your glory, for our pleasure. Um, And Lord, you are most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in you. And that's in every area of life. And we are thankful for that. Lord, I pray for the young uh, men in this room uh, right now that they would be uh, seeking after Jesus Christ to become a leader as he was a leader. Lord, that they would be keeping themselves pure, that they would not be enslaved to the lusts of their own minds, feeding that with things like pornography, which leads to areas of masturbation and, and, and wickedness and debauchery. And Lord, may, may they not also create just rules and standards, Lord, but may their hearts melt for you. And would you be drawing them closer to you so that they might be the husbands that you might have them be um, one day. Lord, I pray for these young women, that you keep their hearts pure. You would keep them pursuing Jesus Christ, submitting to Him, leading in areas that they can, Lord, and that they would uh, they would also refrain from pursuing their lust in the areas of pornography and masturbation. That they would keep themselves pure for You first and foremost, for Your glory, for for their own good, and that they might be maybe be prepared to be wives that You might be calling them to be someday. Lord, may all of us um, follow You in how we relate to the opposite sex, and may we do it appropriately. Lord, I pray for anyone here, we haven't touched on this, God, and I pray that you'd enable us to, who might have might be victims, Lord, of, of sexual abuse. God, some people who have something that has been weighing on them for years or months or whatever, God, may you give them the courage to come forward and share, and, and may your justice come about. We just ask that, Lord, and we pray that you keep them from, from, from that kind of uh, being preyed upon. Lord, and may you keep them from ever preying upon somebody else. Lord, I pray that we would see each other as image bearers of you and respect each other in that in that belief. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified that these teens would not use this vacation that they're about to enter into at school um, foolishly, but they would do, that they would use it, God, to draw closer to you. Help them to, to do well in their finals and to, and to do those to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.